Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 67 with my friend, Scott. Scott Banks is my high school uh, media teacher. AV Club for all you nerds out there. And you might uh, remember also one of my other teachers was interviewed, Jeannie, um, and you can listen to that episode because we do reference her a couple times during this episode. It's a two-for-one special, people. So check it out. I was so excited to sit down with Scott. He does such cool shit. Um, he's always vacationing somewhere and doing some like random extreme sports or or just, you know, having a good time. And, uh, and I, you know, Scott, I see you as a, as a beach bum as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, it's really great. And we talk about kind of, um, how society kind of treated ADHD as, as a kid too, um, when he was growing up and some really great subjects are covered. So I hope you guys enjoy this interview and I will talk to you after this show, but without further ado, here is my friend, Scott. <laughs> I just bought two kayaks. They just sit in my garage. Once I want to pull my car in my garage, I don't know where the hell I'm going to put them. Yeah, that's the problem. Actually, I have like my 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 garage is totally stuffed full of shit. So this is overflow parking here. People think, oh my god, that's such cool decorating. I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> utility storage, man. That's super funny. Uh, I appreciate you doing this and taking some time out. But I normally start out with how I know people, and I know you because you were my teacher in high school. First, my history teacher, yep. and then the guy I probably spent the most time with in the faculty <laughs> shortly after that in uh, media. Um, yeah. And I, I, you know, I've seen you a lot since then and different engagements. And I was at your uh, wedding reception and uh, yep. and I just like kind of kept in touch in and out over the years with you guys. And uh, and it's it's been a treat for me. Um uh, and, me as well. <laughs> <laughs> well I, I and i'm just i gotta say right from the start too like that that time and when i when i knew you in, in high school and you were a teacher and i don't know that area that like those media kids man we were it was a new thing we had and <laughs> you were like this rare person in in school in general that kind of gave people creative freedom to kind of do what they want occasionally step in and being like hey that's pretty fucked up. You can't make that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, for the most part, you know, let, letting us kind of run with it. Burn and, the tape. Burn the tape. Yeah. Well, and and I, I have so much gratitude for it because I have, I like look to my left here. I have boxes of VHS tapes that I, because I just walked around with the fucking camera because I was allowed to. And I got all this <laughs> stuff. And yeah. looking back at it, you know, it's great now, 20 years later, I'm sure it's going to be even better <laughs> in another 20 years. And some stuff doesn't age so well, but, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's just a real unique treat. And, you know, like previous generations, they didn't really have that unless they, you know, maybe had the wealth and circumstance to even have a camera when they were kids. So it's, it's, it's a privilege. And I know now everybody has a fucking phone and I have so many photos and videos on my phone. When I get older, I don't think I'll look at any of them. I'll just be like, it's too much shit on here. I don't, I don't care. Yeah. About so, so yeah, that, that was a real treat. And I don't want to branch off too much on that because I'll talk for hours. But um, that's how I know you initially. Yep. But what, I guess what I don't know about you going back in time, you know what I was thinking about? Do you have any siblings? Yeah, actually I do. I have an older brother and two younger sisters. Oh, wow. 
See, I, yeah, I had no idea. I was like, I don't think he does. I think he's an only child. <laughs> yep, I have an older brother, and he and I were super close all the way through school. We went to Carson High School, and so uh, we were both super athletic, did were in tons of sports, and I was mostly because I was, like, hyperactive. <laughs> and so I think it was a good way to, like, slow me down. Yeah. Make go, you know, make him run after school every day. Give him two gym classes, whatever how, you got. How far apart were you and your brother? Uh, well, only one grade, but oh, two okay. years, two age grades, two age, two years, but only one one grade in school. So yeah, you. I was so the you youngest guys, kid in my grade, and he was about the oldest in his. That's funny. So were you? Yeah. You guys were then really close, huh? Yeah. Oh, we were super close, man. We fought. We we fought every day. <laughs> <laughs> And it was just different back then, too, because, like, uh, you know, we didn't have the distraction of cell phones and computers and those things. So in the summertime, you had to rely on the people around you to go do stuff. Yeah. And so invariably, it was your siblings. <laughs> and so or, or, or if you're lucky and, and a lot of times you were lucky, like I grew up in a neighborhood, we had a bunch of kids. Yeah. You know, everybody, everybody's family had two or three kids. And so including mine. And so in the summertime, as soon as your parents went off, took off, went to work, man, boom. You were out. You was game on. Nice. And uh, so, you know, it was pretty fun. Clarkson was small then, so should we'd go out on Lake Oakland in a rowboat or something like that all day with, a, you know, 12-pack of beer. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'd still be into that idea now. Um, yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, how much older are you than your sisters? Uh, so my, my next youngest sister is exactly two years younger than me. She was born the same day. Oh, wow. Two years apart. So your parents uh, were on a schedule, huh? Every two yeah, years, that's some kind of planning, man. Like, <laughs> so uh, the three actually the three of us, the three older of us, we grew up together and had kind of this normal childhood. And then my sister, my my youngest sister, is fourteen years younger than myself. Oh wow! So she was kind of like, hello, <laughs> yeah. And um, so she, but she lived a completely different life. By then, my parents had. You know, my dad had a big job. They lived on the lake. He, you know, all that other stuff. When we were kids, you know, we were eating at McDonald's and you know, yeah, Little Caesars for for dinner every night, and you know, it was it was a different story. Yeah. So you guys, I mean, by the time she probably was old enough to have memories, you guys were mostly out of the house, I would imagine. Oh, for sure, long gone. Yeah, that's but crazy. What's funny is uh, I'm probably the closest with her. Yeah. <laughs> What do you think that stems from? And my brother, but um, I think my my youngest sister. I don't know. I think just because we're probably the most alike, I guess. Yeah. You know, she's pretty. Uh, she's pretty adventurous and go get them, and you know. And you just got back from one of your many trips. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, I just got back from her house just now. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know. And her and I have both kind of been the kind of the caretakers of my parents a bit yeah you know she watched she my mother lives with her and i look after my father quite a bit so invariably everybody ends up over here so i don't know what'd your mom and dad do for work when you guys were little um actually my mom worked at the school oh. which is terrifying because yeah. Whenever I was in trouble, boy, I was wasn't very far away, and she was right there. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so uh, my dad worked at General Motors, so he okay. you know a pretty just car job kind of yeah. thing, but standard for the area. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. seemed like it. I I now I'm 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 guessing 
but I, I'm guessing you got in some trouble once in a while when you were a teenager. <laughs> what I mean, what did that look like? You got you got any famous stories that you that still shaped who you are today? Oh my God, I had so many terrible stories. <laughs> no, because my mom my mom worked at the school too. That made it worse. And then uh, I don't know, man. It's, and my brother. Now I was lucky. My brother was terrible. He, he always he did a lot of stuff, got in a lot of trouble. I kind of did the same stuff, but I was always much more discreet, much more low key about it. And I, <laughs> I kind of always knew where the line was, you know, a little yeah. bit. And um, <clears throat> so I always managed to fly under the radar a little bit. My brother would always get caught, man, always get busted. And I'd always be sitting in the back of the room and my parents are looking at me like, I know you did this, too. Like, I know it wasn't just <laughs> you were there, too. I know it. <laughs> And and I just sit back there with my mouth shut and and he ended up eating a lot of it. But um school definitely uh probably the funniest stuff probably the worst one was uh <laughs> you might know a few of these people. <laughs> when I was in eighth grade, uh my mom worked at the school and I was a super hyperactive kid to the point where they were literally giving me two gym classes a day. Jeez. So like I go to school in first class, first period they'd send me to gym class, and right after lunch they'd send me to gym class again. Ten more years they would have just given you Ritalin. Oh <laughs> man, they, if they'd have known about drugs, they'd have had me. They'd have done. done. So first year gym teacher Kurt Richardson. <laughs> first year he's teaching gym class in eighth grade, and I'm in his gym class and. Our class is teachers is uh, has a competition against the other gym class for volleyball, and we win. And I slam the ball on the ground. The other gym teacher kind of took takes offense to it, <clears throat> and it's just this little woman. Her name's Sue Kozlowski, nice lady, super nice lady, but definitely like a bit of a chip on her shoulder, especially about me. She for some reason she always she never really liked me. And I, I didn't really care that she didn't like me. But she comes out, she starts screaming at me, Banks, get over here. You can't be doing this, can't be doing that. And she goes to grab me by the arm and drag me off the court. And I just kind of held my ground and got everybody laughing. And, um, oh, my God, she went crazy. And uh, George White, who was the principal or the vice principal of Sashball Middle School at the time, is sitting in the office. And uh, Sue goes in there and tells tells this big story that I had misbehaved and I was, you know, yelling at kids and making a, making a big fuss over things and stuff like that. And I said, no, 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 that's not what happened at all. I said, she's making this up. And, uh, she got super mad, like, like that I would challenge her. And I said, you know what? Mr. Richardson was in there. He saw the whole thing. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I went, and for me, I was thinking, yeah, I'm all good. And, and for them, it, I didn't realize how much I put them on the spot. <laughs> and I thought, I thought Kurt Richards, I, I, told, Kurt told me this story years later. But uh, so he, so they call Kurt down, Kurt down to the office, and uh, George White thought for sure that when he asked Kurt, you know, like, you know, okay, so what's the real story? You know, like Mr. Banks is really in trouble now, huh? And Kurt goes, Oh no, no, he, she goes, It happened just like he said. <laughs> <laughs> Took and, your uh, side. He took my life, stood up for me. I couldn't believe that he stood up for me, man. And he got in so much trouble for backing me. But I get, at the day, man, I remember my whole the rest of my life. I never forget Kurt Richardson backing me on that day, man. <laughs> That's funny. I wonder if there was any sort of uh, karma or 
however that looks like. I'm just thinking later, I feel like you probably had to be involved in conversations about me at some point. Uh, you know, it's funny though. Like I, he just, he was just being honest. Yeah. 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 You know, he was just, it, it, he was, he was too young a teacher and too stupid, too stupid, too young to know he's not supposed to back me in that situation. That's so funny. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I remember it immediately. I thought of, uh, I said Nookie on the announcements, and I didn't know what it meant at the time, and I got in a bunch of trouble for that. So did I. Yeah, Yeah, see, there you go. Full circle. Um, (laughs) That's great. So with your mom working in the school, did that play any role with you deciding to get into teaching, or was that something you kind of fell into? Is it something you decided, like, went towards? Like, what what happens after high school where you – I mean, when do you make that decision to go into teaching? Third year engineering school. <laughs> <laughs> what happened those first three years? Um, you know, I, I just, uh, I really probably should have never, never, ever, 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 ever started in engineering direction in the first place. It was just never me. It was never, I was never that math science guy. What made you, you know, pick I'm, that? No, I should have probably went into like industrial arts in some way. But what what drove you to engineering to begin with? Um, well, my dad kind of was doing engineering designing, yeah. you know, for Ford and, and General Motors and Chrysler, and I, I liked to draw. And I I, should, I did architectural drawing, I did mechanical drawing at school, um, and I liked it. But it wasn't I wasn't like great at it. And when it started getting super super complicated, super super high end, I was like, eh, you know. Yeah. I just wasn't that eggheaded about it, you know? Yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, I suffered through the college prep classes. I, I struggled to get through, and I wasn't a great student, you know? Yeah. I, I I didn't – nothing came easy to me. I always – I was always, like, the youngest, smallest. You know, I always thought the dumbest kid in my class, you know, because you just – I was I always felt like I was playing catch-up. Everybody else got things quicker than I did, you know? Yeah. Well, I imagine it's tenfold at an engineering school. Oh, oh yeah, I was in Michigan, way over my head, way over my head. Um, and I was sliding by. I could have probably graduated, and I could have probably ended up doing the job. But yeah. you would have been the guy that designed the bridge <clears throat> that fell apart. <laughs> oh yeah, or did it, and didn't give a shit. He was out, yeah. you know, daydreaming, looking out the window. That's funny. So what? Uh, after three years of that, you you shift your focus to teaching. Yeah, I just decided like uh, one thing. I'd, even when I when I was uh, when I left high school, I, I was in this program called Youth and Government. And my mom, because she was at the school, she she ran it. And when I the, the my last year of high school, I was like a kind of an officer for that club yeah. at state level. And then um, so the following year which was my first year at university, um, I kind of took over that responsibility for the YMCA, running part of that club. And so for the four years or five years that I was at the university, I used to come back to Clarkson High School, and I started to run the, the Youth and Government Club oh. at high school. So you were already essentially teaching there before you were teaching there. <laughs> I, I ran, so I, yeah, I ran, the, I ran this, this government club, this history government club for the time that I was in university. 
And uh, it was probably the smartest thing I did because it kept me in touch with uh, the school. Yeah. And so when, when I graduated high school, they already knew, or when I graduated, graduated university, they knew when I graduated, what my degree was in and everything else. And I just, I literally went from uh, teaching straight over to substitute teaching and waiting for a job at Clarkston, you know? Wow. How old were you when you graduated? You said you were at MSU for what, five years, you said? Oh, uh, well, no, I was at MSU for three years, and then I was at CMU for three years. Okay, so, so you left the school altogether to go get teaching. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> once, I, once I decided to teach, I was gone. I left. Yeah, <laughs> I get it at Michigan State. <clears throat> gotcha. Well, so, yeah, well, I guess why why CMU then? Because couldn't you just have gotten a different major at Michigan State? Uh, what I did is I transferred over, transferred in as a junior, full junior because they oh, took man. me as adding uh, two years of college in, so yeah. So it didn't I, matter what you did those two years; you just had two years in. I just had two years yeah. in, and so they just accepted all my, and they accepted every one of my credits. So it was easy, and so I, I love Central. I thought Central was great. You know, I had a good time there and uh, learned a lot. And that's probably when I started ter- academically getting my act together a bit. Okay, first two years. First years, I really didn't understand what I was doing too much. It's, high school didn't prepare me to go to college at all. <laughs> no, did you I, did you learn from that and teach that out to the people when you were a teacher, or or would you say those same people graduated being like, I was not prepared for college? Because I, I think you you hit the nail on the head there. Where <clears throat> I mean, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's the sad part is I never really I never and I never answered it for myself is. Did it? Did Clarkson High School not prepare me for college, or did I not prepare myself for yeah. college? Yeah, yeah. You know, like I, I think, like I was, I, like I said to you before, I was hype. I was pretty hyperactive, so they, I was kind of on the uh, make them run circles track. You know, like yeah, anytime, yeah. anytime I was getting a little fidgety, you know, they'd send Mister, they'd send Scott Banks out in the hall, go walk two circles. <laughs> so I was walking paths in the circle, you know, in the, in the floor, and um. I don't know if they met if if they I don't think anybody fully realized what my issue was. Yeah. And instead of uh you know instead of dealing with it and then uh then getting on with my academics, they just kind of tried to mask those the overactivity by giving me an extra gym class. Okay. But it didn't help me academically. Yeah. I yeah, I mean I I obviously I'm I the finance part drives me nuts. I don't think we prepare people <laughs> to like leave high school and, you know, pay bills. And <laughs> no, no. But, uh, but the, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can speak well for the academic thing. I mean, I, when I left high school, I went to OCC cause I graduated Clarkson with a 1.9 because all I did was <laughs> make videos and I didn't give a fuck about anything. Cause, uh, I was, yeah. I mean, I, I, I used my you social. Don't tell me. Yeah, but it was all looking back now and like going through therapy and shit. It's just like it was a a protection device. Like if I didn't have the social life that I had, I don't know what the fuck I would have done with myself. So the the academic part took like a backseat for a long time. And it's funny, once I started going to college, like seriously, when I was like 28, uh, I have I have like three associates degrees that are all in the dean's list. Like. It, yeah, yeah. The, it's not hard. It just at the time it was not a priority for me whatsoever. Um, but 
I, I'm, well, I, but that you know, like the Fed. The funny thing was, is like uh, your issue was never that you weren't smart. You were one of the brightest kids in your class. It I just, just didn't uh, care. <laughs> yeah, it just, it just it just wasn't it wasn't what your interest that day was. You know. And, yeah. You know, because I, I mean, I saw I probably saw more than any other teacher in the building the other side of you. Yeah, that's because I was probably in your room more than any other room. Well, <laughs> yeah, but I saw like. You know, like the, for a lot of the stuff that you guys did in my class, you guys did the German show. Oh my gosh, you guys would go home all night, take a whole bunch of shit home, <laughs> grab cameras, all these microphones, all kinds of shit. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah take whatever, go, go, go. And you guys must have stayed up all night rehearsing all this crap. And you come in and, and you start rehearsing at school. Uh, you know, I mean, you guys obviously spent, you know, two, three hours a night of that night, you know, doing all that stuff. And, you know, it was pretty high end stuff for for students your age. Yeah, and you guys were the only ones doing it. It's not like you guys had people to to watch. Everybody else was watching you guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that what an what an outlet for kids like me and Chad, where we just like yeah. had this creative energy and nowhere to put it, and then all of a sudden we had this state of the art <laughs> technology <laughs> that we got to fuck around with. I mean, it worked out for Chad. He went to uh, Columbia for a year, and then out to UCLA, and yeah. Um, you know, like that's, yeah, I think it really paved the way for people. I can't imagine what people have done since then. Um, and I've talked yeah. to some of them. I interviewed, I don't know if you remember Ryan Smith. Yep. I interviewed him for this. Uh, and he's, yeah, yeah. he's a cameraman at the news station now. Yeah. I, I talked to Ryan a lot. Yeah. It's just funny. Like that stuff, you just, I guess you never know the, the impact it's going to have little and from the, the teachers to the technology, like all of it. But anyway, uh, so you graduate, you start te or substitute teaching, and then what? How old are you when you finally get a job, like full time job at Clarkston? Twenty five, something like that. How? Well, <laughs> I'm gonna put things in perspective for me. How old were you when I started at the high school? So in like, was it ninety seven? And mid thirties. Okay, so you'd been teaching for like seven years at that point. Six, yeah, seven yeah. Years. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <clears throat> yeah. I taught, I started out at the, at the alternative high school. I started out what well, used to be called Renaissance. Yeah, it was Strive. Now it's called Renaissance High School. Yeah, well, it's funny to think about because I, you know, I have friends that teach there now, and when I think about like how old they were when they started there, I was like, oh shit. You know, when you're a kid, you think your teachers are all fucking ancient. <laughs> truth is, they're like all in their twenties and thirties. Oh, they so. are. Like, like it was really common for you to like get graduate college at 22 and start teaching at 23 yeah well at that point you're only four or five years older than than kids in your class yeah yeah i mean you're really not that it's really not crazy age difference you know no yeah and i remember 30 levels a lot but well yeah and you see i i saw a lot of kids when we were like 18 at the end of high school uh, you know, we'd get like Rory Roberts and Liz Kalushkin there and, and, and people would be like hitting on them because they're only, you know, five years, four years older than them. And they were hot. <laughs> and they were hot. No doubt about it. So funny. <laughs> so funny. So you, you start teaching. Uh, I mean, what else is going on in your life? Like your personal life, your, uh, what are you doing in your free time outside of teaching? Start early on? Yeah. Um. You know, like, uh, you just, I, I had to find a bunch of odd jobs because teaching the pay sucks. <laughs> I signed my first, con my first full-time contract at Clarkson was for $18,000. Wowza. 
Yeah, $18,000. It was nothing. Um, and so uh, I, I started doing construction in college to help pay for college. And so as soon as, as soon as any time I had any time off from, from teaching, I'd be building something yeah. like, uh, working on a house, do, you know, I did a lot of roofing. I did a lot of uh, cabinetry, stuff like that. Any, anything I could do to make extra money. And then, uh, I built a few houses and then, um, you know, just kind of did that stuff. So most of the time I just worked a lot, man. The first 10 years I was teaching, I worked a lot. And, um, where did you pick up those skills? Uh, the, like the construction skills from, um, odds and ends, mostly cause I needed to eat. <laughs> um, so my parents didn't have a lot of money, so I had to work a lot. And so in uh, high school, I started working for this guy who was, uh, he was called the Christian roofer in town. <laughs> <laughs> so we used to go around, he just, we'd roof houses, <clears throat> but he talked a lot. He was a super smart guy. Taught me a lot about like a real simple business, just roofing houses, you know, yeah. go in there, strip it off, re-roof it, collect your money, go home. Um, so I, I worked with him for a season. And then, I, uh, when I was 19 years old, I got my builder's permit. Oh, okay. Builder's license. And, um, so I could do it on my own. And so then I, I did a lot of roofing on my own. And then I did, I got an alteration or an alterations contract license. So I could do like build small houses and small buildings. Huh. I started doing some of that. And then, uh, my aunt and uncle had a little bit of money and they would buy like, a house, an old beat up house, and I would flip it for him. Nice. I'd, I'd renovate it and flip it. And then, uh, so I, I did a little, tons and tons of that stuff for like 15 or 20 years, built a few houses. Quite a resourceful guy there, Scott. Yeah, but it was most, most of my construction stuff's kind of self taught. I never like, I never had a class. I never had like an official. Well, what do you need to do to get the license? Just pay for it? Or is there a test involved? Or Oh, no, yeah, there's a test involved. I, I think it'd be hard to, it'd be, I mean, it's been a long time since I took the test. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, can, I could tell you, though, that I know, I remember at the time of thinking, boy, it'd be hard to pass this test unless you've done some of this. Yeah. This week's episode is brought to you by Bravis Brewing. Bravis Brewing exclusively makes non-alcoholic craft beer, and breweries like theirs have been pivotal in my sobriety. No longer does the sacrifice of alcohol come with the sacrifice of taste and flavor. Whether it's a hoppy IPA, a tart raspberry gosa, I believe I'm saying that right, a malty amber ale, or uh, any number of their special uh, brews available throughout the year. You know, I usually keep my fridge stocked with their peanut butter stout. That's right, non-alcoholic peanut butter stout, you guys. And currently have their, their crisp blonde, and they have a limited edition orange cream ale that are also... Just uh, taking up real estate in my fridge, but not for long because I'm going to drink them. Uh, when you order a 12-pack or more, they ship for free. And now when you use code FRIENDREQUEST, one word, FRIENDREQUEST, you can also have an additional 10% off. What? I read that right. 10% off. Whether you're sober, sober curious, or just looking for a delicious evening without the hangover the next morning, any beer lover has to try Bravis Brewing. So head over to bravus.com, that's B-R-A-V-U-S.com, and use code FRIENDREQUEST at checkout to save 10% and get free shipping on orders of 12 packs or larger. That's bravus.com, B-R-A-V-U-S, and use code FRIENDREQUEST at checkout to save 10% and free shipping on orders of 12 packs or larger. All right, back to the show, guys. Well, and I only bring it up because, so I moved out to LA when I was 21, and... 
I had a suitcase, you know, zero prospects, but I was like, I'm going to live in LA. And, uh, this guy took a chance on me through like a Craigslist ad where he was, he wanted an assistant. And I was like, I don't know how to do anything. Like parents divorced when I was four. My dad knows how to do everything, but I don't see him. I can't tell you like past what a hammer and a fucking nail is. I got nothing. And he's like, that's cool. I'll show you. And this guy taught me how to drywall. He taught me how to tile. He taught like literally everything I know now. And it has been, that was at when I was, you know, 21, 22. So the last like 16 years, it has been the most useful skill I have ever known. Oh, yeah. And I think I it's friend, just so, just like that. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. so underrated because it, it's so useful. And I, I mean, it comes with its own, uh, its own baggage. Like I remember when I was, when you were my teacher, I think you dropped some trusses on your ankles or something like that. Yes. <laughs> and, uh. There's, there's some risk there, but, but the skill of being able to do that, being able to do it yourself, uh, whether it's your own house or someone else's, if you need to make some money, like a, you always have a job, right? Like if you need to find work, you can always find work. And then B yeah, the money you save doing your own shit. is ridiculous. And it's just crazy to me. So that's, yeah, that's why I was curious about like where you picked up those skills from. And it sounds like you kind of had a guy like that where he taught you the roofing stuff and then you... My parents are pretty self-reliant too. Like they, they kind of did, we, they did all their stuff at home on our own. If something had to be fixed, we fixed it. Yeah. We didn't call the plumber. We were the plumber. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but then, yeah, but then I had other guys and, um, yeah, but for sure. You know, I, I think, you know, in most, most of the things that kind of carried me through my life, there would be one, I could always point to one or two, one or two people in each area that kind of were, maybe more important than a lot of other people were and yeah. guiding you that way or helping you along, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's hey. a, it's awesome to have those people. Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> all right. So you're working, you're, you're working and working. <laughs> I mean, are you doing anything with your personal life or is your personal life just working? Um, you know, I got married, uh, not long after I started teaching and I got married to a, a, a woman from, she lived in Waterford, worked at the bike shop in town in Clarkston and, uh, kinetic systems. Yep. <laughs> and so we weren't married very long. Um, just kind of like, uh, right time, wrong person kind of thing. <laughs> so, but I really wasn't really like, I wasn't super bummed about it. It wasn't like devastating to me. It was just kind of like, eh, you know, and then uh, a year or two later, I, I met Jeannie, you know, at school and maybe a little bit more my, more my speed for sure. Yeah. Um, and so then it wasn't too long after that, you know, a year or so that uh, Jeannie and I were together. Yeah. Good party. Uh, yeah. That was, <laughs> for, you know, that was, that was the bulk of my life right there, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, I wonder, so how long have you been retired now? Uh, just, uh, since June. Oh, only since June. Yeah. Well, so I, I feel like just kind of following along on Facebook and stuff, uh, the last few years, if not longer, maybe you've been kind of going on adventures and doing, doing crazy stuff. And, yeah. um, did you always have a streak of that or did that like spring up later in life? Where did that come from? And that, that desire to go do that stuff? Um, I think I always wanted to do it. I just never had the money and the time. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, when you find yourself divorced with 
a good you know a, a good job and a good income yeah and uh a lot of time on your hands and you can start to do what you want and um you know that, that was kind of the one advantage of uh i guess the circumstances i was in is it really freed me up to do some pretty crazy travel stuff yeah um so like now i think i well, early i looked at it as like all right i gotta start figuring out what the fuck i'm gonna do when i retire because <laughs> like I'm, like i was already i was planning on retiring when i was like 55 you know yeah yeah. and uh but i was thinking to myself what do you do when you're 55 because like most most of my friends um they're not they're not retiring yeah. they're still working so they can't take off with me um and so you got to kind of think about that a little bit about, and what is it, just what is it exactly going to do? Are you going to, like, I have some friends, they retire and then they go get a job. What the fuck, man? Why are you I've that? seen that a lot. And the older I get, the more I see it in people. Right. And I think that, yeah, I mean, that, is that a fear? Is that why you were like, I got to figure out what I'm going to do when I retire? Because I think for most people, the thought of that much free time, that you don't have that much free time since you were like, five years old like so. oh no <laughs> I, I, I guess I, you know i'm I'm glad i was maybe i'm glad i was hyperactive as a kid you know i kind of <laughs> hung on to it but like man that's the last thing i gotta worry about is figuring out what i'm gonna do yeah you know or, <laughs> jesus but no i don't know so uh <clears throat> it's for me it's easy like i have I've, i have way more things i want to do and way more places i want to go than time yeah um, and so, uh, you know, like now I think I'm just trying to, uh, it's only been about a year and I'm actually I'm doing my taxes. Uh, so I, I was trying to figure out how to like balance, like <laughs> how much can I spend now versus how much I had when I was working. It's just a lot less money. Yeah, yeah. Making, my pension is near what I was making when I was working, you know, so you just gotta just live a little bit different. But I mean, I just... You know, I still, I, I've I've been able to pretty much do anything I wanted. What's the first trip you took uh, where you were just like, oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta do more of this. This is <laughs> this is this is what I need to be doing in my hmm. time. You know, probably like uh, when when I was where first started working at, in at the TV studio at the new high school, they started sending me to California all the time. Oh, and I'd go, go to Apple, and I'd go to the inside, go to this. Uh, these video, these video shows, and all these Apple training center things. Well, that's fucking cool. <laughs> it was, it was super cool. And um, when I would go out there, like the Apple stuff would always be in the morning, but in the afternoon and stuff. And I would always try to link it together with like two weekends, and then take a day off. And yeah. so I'd always end up, I'd have a, like at least a week out there just to fuck around. And um, oh my god, it was just such a blast. Like. Uh, surfing living that lifestyle out there and i i would stay like there's a there's a hotel called cadillac hotel it's right on venice beach and uh it's famous because it's the hotel that Van Morton, that uh, uh jim morrison used to stay at when, when he lived in venice beach yeah i know what you're talking about and you know you know where that yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and then there's the little venice bistro uh, place that they the band used to play and they still on saturday nights they still have they still have jim morrison and all, all stuff super fun and then then you can go uh they have the book where you can do all the hikes up in the mountains and yeah. all that kind of stuff, california and um 
you know, when I when I would go out there and I would do that trip, I'd be like, man, this is the lifestyle I want to live. I don't really, I, I don't, I never really felt like I was happy with the lifestyle I was living. Yeah. So like, I always thought I would fit in as beach bum. <laughs> like I just thought that was that'd be the one job I could do really well. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, I've been to Venice Beach a number of times, and <clears throat> I, I can see you living in Venice Beach. <laughs> yeah, I know, in a cardboard box, even you could like. <laughs> Rattle one of them boxes once. Hey, man, thanks, man. What are you doing in there? That's so funny. That's the guy I was telling you about earlier that taught me how to do all that shit. Uh, our first job was renovating a condo down in Venice Beach. Go down there at 6.30 in the morning every day, walk on the beach, get some coffee, and then go up to this unassuming condo that probably cost God knows how much, millions yeah. of dollars. $10 million dollars yeah. there. Uh, just looks like a you know, junk street, but then you go inside and you, it's, it's ridiculous, yeah. but yeah, no, I, I can see that. That's, that's awesome. And that, I mean, I was wondering, and, and I'm glad you kind of touched on, like, I, I want to live this California lifestyle down at Venice beach. Cause you, uh, you've been in Clarkston your whole life, right? Like, yep. Are there, do you have any regrets about that? Or like just being in that same town the whole time, li- never living anywhere else? No, because like uh, I think maybe now it actually makes it easier for me to 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 take off and leave now, you know, to yeah. go do other stuff. And like I still have this my place here, and um, I kind of come back. I'll come back for a couple of weeks at a time just to change clothes. And you know, I don't know. I've kind of done every. I don't really feel like I'm missing anything here, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but like I, I like shoot. I have tons of good friends here, family here. You know, um, there's a lot. There's something comforting to say about uh, you know feeling comfortable in the town you live in. Oh yeah. And, you know, like the 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 upside to Clarkston is it's super safe, and you know, like I don't I don't have bad memories here. I, yeah. I was never carjacked or yeah. <laughs> any of those kind of things. Um, you know, my kid got and grew up and ran the streets and, you know, uh, I taught at the public high school and it was a clean, safe, healthy place to be. And, you know, shit, man, I've lived, fuck, I've lived the life of a king as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I, I mean, my question came from like a cynical point of view of just like, like when I went to California, um, you know, coming back here, because while I love, I love Clarkson and it's, it's my hometown and uh, my wife. I drive her crazy because I'm like, every time we look for a house, I'm like, ooh, let's look in Clarkson. She's like, why do you want to live in Clarkson so bad? <laughs> um, but stepping out of that, it is somewhat of a bubble. And coming back into it, like, there's I, – I, w- I don't want to say that it, there, it, like, breeds a closed-minded culture, but it doesn't necessarily open it up to a bunch of different types of people and beliefs and, and that sort of thing. And yeah. I, I like to and think that's changing, like, but – at this stage in my life, I, I would agree with you, but like, you know, when you're in, when you're your age and, you know, and I was your age and I had, you know, a ten, six, seven year old boy. Yeah. And I'm telling you, it was a real huge relief to live in a place like this. Oh yeah. To, um, to, to know that you, your kid can walk home from school or, you know, if the kid gets out of line on the bus, a bus driver who I know personally is going to smack him on the back of the head and give me <laughs> and and all that shit's gonna be cool and you know some, some there's something we said for boring yeah. um you know like uh maybe maybe that's mundane but you know give me 
give me that as opposed to raising a kid in chaos or having a family. And yeah. I, like, would you, would you ever raise a family on Venice beach? No. Uh, <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> it would, I would never like, I would never expose a young, a young adult to the, to that place at all. Yeah. You know, it's, that's not what it is. And you know, it's, and honestly, like my tolerance of it's only short lived. I, I can, I, I, I totally get a hard on for hanging on down there for like two weeks, you know, hang out on the beach, hang out. I, I stay out at this little place right down at the end and uh, I, I can hang out for about two weeks, but then even then I kind of get tired of it. And then I just feel like everything I touch is dirty. That's funny. Uh well, so you are almost almost a year retired now. Yep. What I mean, looking back, and I, I think I asked Jeannie something similar. Like, are there any specific moments uh, or students or anything like that that stick out that had like an impact on that kind of pushed you in one direction or another, or you think about on a regular basis or anything like that that you oh. think's worth mentioning? <laughs> I know, like probably hundreds, but <laughs> yeah. no, but I think there's like, uh, Jeannie was a huge influence on me because she was clearly a lot smarter than I am. Um, and like, she probably got me more interested in the academic side of being a teacher than I was prior to that, to me meeting Jeannie. Yeah. Um, I, most of, for the honest, for most of my life, I really didn't give a shit whether a kid got a seventy-five percent or an eighty percent. I really didn't give a shit. I could have cared less. Um, it didn't mean that much to me. Uh, I didn't change. I, I don't know. I like. I, I just wasn't real scientific about it. It never was. Never. I never really got that. Got into that part of it. Um, I kind of just kind of taught from my gut a little bit more, which is probably not smart, you know. Yeah. But. Um, so Jeannie influenced me a lot. I learned a lot from her about just being more, more mechanical, um, and, and trying to assess what, what's happening in terms of what kids are doing. Um, students wise, I'd say there's probably about 10 students in my career that, that, uh, that stand out in, in that time. Yeah. And you and you and Chad definitely are too. <laughs> the top of the pile. Um, you know, cause like everything, everything that happened kind of before you guys showed up was, was pretty mundane. And, um, we really just didn't have, uh, we didn't have the, we didn't have that studio Yeah. and we had shit for gear. We had garbage for equipment, but we did have space and we didn't have a lot of oversight. Like I didn't, nobody was bothering me about what you guys were doing. So I was able to let you guys kind of do some more adventurous things. <laughs> were you, were you doing that stuff like on an extracurricular level before you started like doing it in the studio? Well, actually you got to circle back. Cause, uh, when I talked about youth and government earlier, yeah, what I did for the youth and government club was for the national or for the state club was, um, I ran the video portion of that club. Oh, so you were already so, doing AV shit back then. Yeah, I was already doing AP stuff. So, um, so for the statewide YMCA youth and government program, I would throughout the year I would hold clinics and things like that for kids about 
how to produce news shows and how to produce small news video clips. Yeah, yeah. Oh, how to AB edit, roll stuff together. And so then when um, when they were talking about putting in a new studio at the high school, there was really no teaching certificate for it. But there was there was a media class at the high school at the time. And it was taught by actually a, a guy that was the that was the media teacher when I was at Clarkson High School. <laughs> um, but it had really fallen off. I mean, there's only eight kids in the whole class. It yeah. really it had, it had fallen on hard times. Um, I didn't even know it existed before my junior year. <laughs> yeah, just, just not not much was going on, and so when I took it over, there was only eight kids, and so uh, it took two years, and then that was pretty close to about the time you guys rolled in. Yeah, uh, you know, around two thousand one, two thousand two, I think I started teaching in the studio. I had built it up to where I had five full classes every, you know, full class every single hour. And every single hour of the rest of my career, I had full classes every hour, every day. Yeah, it was it was funny because I had you as my history teacher sophomore year, and then junior yep. year we were doing we were doing media. <laughs> yep. And that's uh yeah. So that explains that. <laughs> my lucky my lucky day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Little did you know the impact. Um. Well, that's fun. Uh. Is there is there anything I skipped over that you that you wanted to talk about? I don't know. I'm just hanging, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just got back from another trip. Where were you at this time? Yeah, so um, I just spent uh, five months in Mauritius. Where is that? <laughs> so Mauritius is an island country off the coast. It's an African country off the coast of uh, Africa, but. Kind of if you're, if you're looking for it on the map, um, it's uh, 350 miles east of Madagascar. Okay. Just a tiny little island, only a million people. Um, actually, if, you, if you're looking at it, it's about the size of Oakland County. You know, it's funny to think about that sentence you just said, a tiny little island, only about a million people. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but what's funny is, like, I was only there five months. Yeah. And um, I lived I lived for three months in the north at the very north tip of the island, and then I lived two months at, at the very south tip of the island. And that's only when you're driving in a car. That's only like forty minutes apart, and like and they have shitty roads. Yeah, yeah. So it's forty minutes on shitty roads, so it's not really that very far apart. You know, by the time five months over, you kind of know the primary people around. Like you, you feel like you really. You recognize people everywhere you go on an island that size. What a! How did you find that? Like where and and then decide to go there? Um, so spin I, a I globe. Surf, <laughs> I, I surf and kiteboard. I mostly do kiteboarding lately, and um, so Mauritius is known for having one of the biggest surf waves in the world, um, and a surf wave called One Eye in Manawa, and then they have. Uh, there's probably 10 or 15 kiteboarding, world-class kiteboarding spots around the outside of the island. Wow. The whole island is protected by this huge reef. And so it just makes the most amazing kiteboarding you can ever imagine. And so uh, it's a really beautiful island. So, like I, I would kind of liken it to being like uh, Hawaii in the, in the Indian Ocean. You know, it's, yeah. it's kind of like super beautiful. And um, on top of that... Uh, they've kind of got their act together in terms of like having uh there's great internet, there's shopping, there's food, there's, um, it's modernized. 
It's very modern, very wealthy. It's it's a, a bit of a banking haven. Ah. And so that helps out a little bit. Um, and uh, there's a lot of like uh, technology and stuff now being done there and, and stuff. But um, so it's, it's actually a really nice island. It's, I, th- I believe it is the wealthiest country per capita in Africa. Were you impacted at all by the pandemic when you were there? No, actually, what was wild was I'd been looking to go there forever. But uh, one of the biggest benefits of going there is they were right at the very beginning of the when, it, when everything broke down, they shut down for three weeks permanent. Everybody, everybody, like you walk out on the street, man, you're going to jail. That's how strict they were about it. Wow. But they, they totally killed it right away. And then anybody, then they set these hotels up. So anybody coming and going on the island you fly in and I had to, I had to go through this. You fly in, you, then you go to these quarantine hotels and they get, they've got it really set up nice, but, um, you go into your own room, you never interact with anybody. There's all these, these protocols when you're getting your food and things like that. But then after three weeks, you're released on the Island COVID free. And so for five months, I lived over there COVID free, man. We didn't have to do a damn thing. There's no masks, no nothing. It's, I mean, it sounds like they took care of it early. That's oh, it was amazing. Well, that's well, then, the reason, like Australia's been, uh, you know, pretty much yeah. fine for for a while. Yeah, that's makes makes you really think, doesn't? It? Oh, when I came back and the whole mask thing and getting on the plane, because like, I went to, once I got to Paris, uh, I flew to Paris and man, got off the got off there and geez, a piece of the airport's like on complete lockdown. Like yeah. there's. They've, they've, they've taken away anything you could possibly touch, you know, like <laughs> there's nothing for people to touch around. There's no food. All the restaurants are closed. Uh, it's, you know, pretty, pretty sparkling travel. Yeah. But, Did you do any other traveling before that, uh, during, like during COVID? Um, I, so one thing I did last summer was I built a, a sprinter van into a camper van. I built a, a see, that sounds like it's on your level. All right. Holy <laughs> man, I want to live in a van down by the river, man. <laughs> and so I bought this sprinter van and I stripped it, tore everything out of it, and I built in this really cool camper in the back. And so I can put all my bikes, my kite equipment, and everything in it and take off. And uh I got it set up with solar panels, electric power, television. Oh my god. Just brilliant. So uh so yeah, I would take off and I, and, um, I built that and then I took off and went down to uh, North Carolina and, uh, just my dog and I, and I met some friends down there, well, I kiteboard with quite a bit and we stayed down in North Carolina for most of, uh, most of October, um, and kiteboard. And then I came back here for a week, did, did a little cruise around in the van for a week or two and then took off and then I was out to Mauritius. That's crazy. You should uh, you should call Chad and tell him about your Sprinter van. He wants to do that. <laughs> oh man, I'm telling you. Yeah, I'll, I'll just just stop in out there. Huh? Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to do like a head out to the Columbia River Gorge this summer, and then on out to the coast and head down down the coast of California, down to LA, and come back that way. Well, that's cool. That's I mean, it sounds like you're kind of set up though to to live out your retired days, however the however the hell you want. Yeah, it's not, I mean, like as long as I don't don't get crazy, like I, you know, I'll be living in my van down by the river, but that's okay. Sleeping at Walmart. <laughs> Sounds like you're you're gonna be okay with that, though. You got a nice van set up. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, every day's you know, like I I thought of 
you know, if I, if I was working one more day, if you know, if I'd worked longer, what, how would it be different? Um, yeah. And uh, I couldn't get back the time, you know. Yeah. But I could, you know, and I don't really, I can get by without the money. I'm doing okay, so I'm pretty happy with what's, you know, what well, I'm able to. Do. I guess I, I brushed past this, but what was it like ending your career? on the pandemic like the last few months of your your entire career is just what spent at home that was that was a little weird actually <laughs> um, you know because what what sucked was the la- I, i'm gonna be honest like the last like two months you're just trying to hold it together none of us were ever taught how to do anything from home you know, we didn't have kid our kids weren't set up to do stuff from home yeah. and in my class you know we didn't the kids don't have equipment there's there's you know it was just a mess so, you know, you're doing a shitty job, you know, there's, you're not, the kids aren't getting hardly anything out of what you're teaching or you're doing your best, but you just know it's not at all, um, appropriate, but so then, then you're kind of bailing out. You're kind of saying, okay, and I'm leaving. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> so, Sayonara. Yeah, have a nice day. <laughs> but, yeah, but I don't know. I've been planning to get out of there for a long time. It just, you know, it was just a matter of, uh, you know, getting getting enough years in and doing it, you know. Yeah. I missed my job. It was a great job and it was I man, I loved every minute of it. But you know, I did I didn't I got other things in my life to do, you know. Yeah. I, I did that, so Well it sounds yeah. like uh you're gonna have a much better summer than I am, but <laughs> either way, <laughs> I hope you hope you enjoy it. Uh yeah, I I'm out of questions. I'm just, I'm just right now, buddy. happy to hear all this shit you're doing. I love seeing it on, on Facebook and everywhere and yeah, keep on, keep on being an inspiration to me looking forward to retiring one day. <laughs> all right, man. Well, Even, it's good to talk to you, Justin. Good to talk to you, Scott. All right. You just listened to my interview with Scott Banks extraordinaire esquire one might say uh <laughs> i i really like sitting down with him and you know like i got we went into such detail on like very like town specific stuff i i cut a lot of it out so if, if you're listening to this and you are from the small town of clarkston michigan and you would like the clarkston cut you let me know because there's just a lot of a lot of very detailed clarkston uh stuff that we went back and forth on there but I really enjoy talking to him, and I think it's important to point out, you know, he talks about how he was that, you know, the the fidgety hyper kid, you know, the ADHD, like, clearly how he describes it, you know, and the teachers, the staff, everyone was just like, oh, just, you know, uh, send him out to run some laps, and it's, and then the next decade, they're like, oh, give him some Ritalin, and I wonder, like, what are we doing now? You know, are people actually looking at taking an interest and, and helping these kids or are they just, you know, throw in, uh, throw in their own version of a Band-Aid over it? I think it's it's an important thing to take away from this episode and, and something I keep thinking about um, after listening to it. So I hope you guys got something out of that, too, and I look forward to talking to you more next week which is week three of this month which means we're going to have a our next segment with jenny helms licensed clinical marriage and family therapist on sex and relationships 
and I'm looking forward to that, and I'm looking forward to talking to all you guys, and I want to do a Patreon shout-out to Michelle and Katie and Dustin and Erica and Ginny and Andrew. If you guys are not yet on the Patreon and getting exclusive content like the top five ways to keep your mental health in check, which is a PDF that just has a bunch of great information in it, uh, you, you guys need to get on there. It's a $1.09. It's less than a cup of coffee. Jump on there. Support this show. I really appreciate it. If you can't, you know, if you can't afford Bucko 9, I get it. Jump over to uh, Apple Podcasts, leave a review, a rating, reach out to me on Instagram, a testimonial, anything you guys can do to say, I like this podcast and I think other people should listen to this too. I will take that to my heart because I love this podcast and I love you guys for listening to it. It means so much. I will talk to you next week. Until then, have a great day. Have a great week. Take care of yourself. Find ways to be grateful. That is all. I love you. Okay. Bye-bye.